Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning on this beautiful, sunshiny day. Isn't it great outside? I, uh, I want to tell you a story this morning. When I was in college, I, uh, I think it was the end of my junior year, I decided that I, I needed to get my life back right with God again, and it just made sense. Well, the first thing I need to do, I need to get back in church. And so I found a church. I landed at a Nazarene church in Columbia, Missouri, and maybe a month or two after I started going there, um, this, there was this girl who was an incoming freshman at Mizzou, and uh, she and her mom had come up one, one day, and they, was, they were there for some kind of freshman orientation thing, I think, and so they went and they checked out this church. I was gone that night. I think I was working. I think it was a Wednesday night, and, uh, but there were some older ladies there who were looking out for me from day one. And they told this girl and her mom about this new college guy who had just started attending the church. And so when they left, this girl told her mom, she said, Mom, I'm not going to go to this church just so they can set me up with some dork. (laughs) Well, this dork had the last word. Because in August, she's going to be married to this dork for 20 years. That's right. That's right. I realized, I realized a few years ago that uh, my challenge wasn't to convince her that I'm not a dork. My challenge was to convince her to marry me in spite of the fact that I'm a dork. So um, anyway, that's, I guess you could say that Sarah's and my marriage started um, with her thinking I'm a dork before she ever even met me. So today we're talking about marriage. We're, we're continuing this series, Family Life, The Good, The Bad, and The Crazy, and uh, I know, I realize that not everyone is married, and if you're not married at the moment, uh, don't check out, okay, for two reasons. First of all, if, uh, if you think you may one day be married, well, hopefully we're going to say some things today that can help you and can be useful to you. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, there is no chance that I will ever be married in my entire life, that's Okay. Because there are still some things that we're going to talk about today that you can apply to any relationship. So no matter what your situation is in life, there should be something in this message for you. So don't don't tune out if you're not married. But what I wanted to start with today, um, you know, people often enter marriage with kind of this glamorized, really unrealistic view of marriage. And so I thought we would look at some memes that kind of capture the reality of being married. So here's the first one. Uh, The wife says, you pick dinner. Husband says, pizza. Wife, no. Husband, sandwiches. Wife, ooh, no. Husband, what do you want? Wife, it's up to you. Uh, This is a a tweet from a guy. Imagine them sitting at a table, and uh, the wife writes a number on the piece of paper, and she slides it across. And then he crosses it out, and he writes a new number, and he slides it across, and that's called thermostat negotiations. (laughs) Husband, you can't cage me up like this. I'm a stallion. You have to let me run free. If I come back to you, then it was meant to be. Wife, fine, put the cheese stuffed hot dogs in the cart, but I'm telling you, you'll regret it. Let him run wild, ladies. Let him be the wild stallion that he is. Let him have the cheese-filled hot dogs, for crying out loud. If you think women are the weaker sex, try pulling the blankets back to your side. 
an iron death grip on those things is what she has. Yeah, if you could actually tell me what's wrong instead of just saying it's fine, it's nothing, that'd be great. There's a lesson in that one, folks. Communicate, all right? Don't play games. Don't play the mind read. Well, if you knew me, then you would know. No, don't do that. Just communicate. Communicate. Another tweet, when I woke from the car accident in a full body cast, my wife was right at my bedside to let me know that childbirth is still more painful. <laughs> if, you're, if you're fairly newly married in the room today, uh, or, or maybe you're getting married soon or something like that, and uh, man, let me tell you, um, whatever sympathy you get from your wife right now before you have kids, enjoy it. Because after she bears your children, the sympathy goes away. (laughs) You mean the little splinter in my finger isn't a big deal, babe? I gave birth to three children. (laughs) I'm currently helping my husband look for his chocolates that I ate last Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, stay with us, Pastor Kyle. All right, this is the last one. On social media, you say, I'm married to my best friend and soulmate. But in real life, you say, touch my chocolate cake in the fridge and I will murder you. (laughs) I will cut you. Family life. The good, the bad, and the crazy. These memes, they kind of focus on the bad and they kind of focus on the crazy. But for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to focus on the good of marriage. You see, God, God created marriage before Adam and Eve ever brought sin into the world. That means that when God looked out over all of creation and he said, it is good, and even it is very good, that included marriage. Marriage was not intended to be bad and crazy. God created marriage to be good. But when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, just like everything else, It turned what God created to be good into something that is often bad and crazy. So what I want to do this morning, let's go back to to before sin entered the world, and let's look at God's original design for marriage. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1 sort of gives us an overview of creation And uh, it mainly just touches on the creation of Adam and Eve, but in chapter 2, it goes into more detail about how God created them. It's there that we learn that that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, and uh, he breathed his spirit into him and and gave him life. And then uh, then we come to to this passage in Genesis 2, verse 18. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good... For the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And he goes on to say, they were both naked and they felt no shame. So that's the beginning of marriage, when it was just good. There was no bad, there was no crazy. And it actually starts with a problem, doesn't it? Verse 18 presents a problem when God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, we need to make sure that we're understanding that correctly. That's not God saying, man, I missed something. What did I, what did I forget? No, that's not what this is. Men, Eve was not an afterthought, okay? Wives, that would be a good time to kind of elbow your husband. Eve was not an afterthought. That's not what this means when it says, man, it's not good for him to be alone. God has a plan. We're just seeing that plan unfold in this passage. But on the flip side, um, sorry, ladies, this is also not God saying, well, after experimenting with the man, I'm ready to perfect my creation. It's not that either, okay? This is just God saying, yeah, now some of you husbands are elbowing your wives. This is just God saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And so he says, Adam needs a a suitable helper. And that's another phrase that we have to understand when we understand God's intention for marriage. You see, in our culture, uh, the word helper isn't really a good word. It's, It's an inferior word, isn't it? That's kind of how we view that word today. It's, it's like, a, you know, you have the boss, and then you have the little helper over here. You have the one in charge, the one who calls the shots, and then you have the little helper. That's how we view the word helper, and that's why a lot of times we don't like that verse that refers to the woman as a suitable helper. We think that that means that she's somehow inferior to the man, but that's not the case at all. That same Hebrew word, the, you know, the, this was originally written in Hebrew, and in the Hebrew language, that word for helper is not inferior at all. In fact, that same Hebrew word is used in other places to refer to God himself, and God is not inferior to anyone. So we have to get that out of, our, out of our minds. There's no inferiority implied here by calling Eve a suitable helper. Think of suitable helper as simply a partner who fits with the man. Someone of his kind, someone who, who fits with him, who corresponds to him, who is the same kind as him, someone who matches him and supplies what he lacks. Remember the movie from, gosh, probably a long time ago now. Remember the movie Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise movie? It was a, he, he plays a sports agent, and uh, this sports agency, and he ends up marrying his assistant. And they, they separate for a while, and at the end of the movie, uh, he walks into the house, and of course, they've fought, they're, they're separated, and he walks in, and I think she's there like having book club or something with all these other ladies. And he walks in, and he says, hello, and he gives her this speech, and she stands up, and she's crying, and she finally says, you had me at hello. But in the middle of this speech, Tom Cruise, he looks at her, and he says, you complete You, I looked and sounded like Tom Cruise right there, didn't I? Yeah, I know. I sounded like him. 
Um, he said, you complete me. Now, I don't, I don't recommend uh, Tom Cruise as a theologian, okay? But that line kind of captures what it means for Eve to be a suitable helper. She's someone who, who fit with him and, and sort of completed him. That's what God intended for marriage. That's what suitable helper means. God's plan was to create someone who fit together with Adam for the purpose of, of working and loving God together. In other words, God created them to be a team. If you want to have a healthy marriage, view and treat your spouse as a teammate, not a competitor. You see, usually we view each other as competitors. We compete for ideas. We compete with our spouse for, uh, for who is right. We compete for who, what we're going to do. Sometimes we compete for who's not going to decide where we eat, like that meme said. But we compete all the time. Folks, you're not competitors. You're teammates. So let me give you a couple of real-life scenarios that change when we view our spouse as a teammate and not a competitor, okay? These two, if you live under the same roof with another individual, whether you're married or not, um, at least one of these things probably happens every week, okay? Here's scenario one. Your spouse or whoever your roommate is or whoever you live with, um, your spouse comes in and they've had a bad day, they feel beat up, uh, just beat up by the world, they're in a bad mood, they come in, they're kind of barking at you, maybe barking at the kids, barking at whoever, and, uh, and, and what do you do? You bark right back, right? I didn't do anything to you, you've been at work all day, I haven't even seen you all today, why are you yelling at me? That's, the, that's kind of our natural reaction, especially when we see each other as competitors. But when we see each other, oh, by, and by the way, on what planet do we think that's going to make things better? Really, I, I asked myself that a while back, because Sarah and I, that's how, you know, we're like everybody else, we interact that way, and I don't know, at some point I, I, I thought, why do I think that's going to make her day better? Why do I think that's going to make our evening better by barking right back? But here's how that changes when we see each other as teammates. The spouse walks in, they're in a bad mood, they've had a bad day, they've been, they feel beat up, and instead of barking back, you say, you know what, um, we're, we're teammates in this thing, and we've got to have the rest of this evening together, and we've got to make something good of this evening. Honey, schnookums, sugar plum, whatever you call your spouse... How can I make your day better? They've just bit your head off. They've just completely bit your head off for no reason. See them as a teammate. How can I make your life better today? How can I make your day better? What can I do to help you the rest of this evening? That's seeing each other as a teammate and not a competitor. But here's the second real-life scenario that's when you disagree. Now, none of you probably ever disagree with your spouse, but Sarah and I do sometimes. When you see your spouse as a competitor and you disagree on something and you are, uh, we know none of us argue, but we have spirited discussions, right? You're having a spirited discussion with your spouse. When you see them as a competitor, 
then your number one goal in that argument is to win and prove yourself right, isn't it? When you see them as a teammate, your goal is not to win the argument. Your goal is to find a workable solution and salvage the relationship and at least do no damage to the relationship. That's the difference between seeing your spouse as a competitor versus seeing them as a teammate. God created husband and wife to be teammates, not competitors. So, verse 18, God says that he's not yet created this type of partner for Adam, this type of teammate. And he does this thing, and he parades the animals in front of Adam. And my question is, why, why does God do that? Why doesn't he just create Eve? I mean, in fact, why doesn't he just speak her into existence like he does everything else? Why does he do it this way? Why does he go through this, this show of parading all these animals in front of Adam? Well, the way the text reads, I think there are several reasons he does this, but one reason, I think he's letting Adam see for himself that none of these wonderful creatures fit with him. Here's how I see this playing out in my mind as I, as I picture this happening. God is parading all of these animals in front of Adam, and keep in mind this is the first time Adam is seeing all of these amazing creatures that God has made. And so he's parading them in front of Adam one by one, and Adam is thinking, wow, man, that one is cool. Oh, man, that one's even, that one's even better than the last one. Oh, I can't believe this one. And Adam is just amazed at God's handiwork. And they get to the end And Adam is marveling at God's creation, and yet, something's kind of missing. That's what I picture in my head. These are all really cool, but something is kind of missing. And that's when we see the first surgical operation in human history, complete with general anesthesia. And Adam wakes up, and he opens his eyes, and he sees Eve for the first time. And I picture that scene. I picture God with this big smile on his face, anticipating Adam's reaction. Have you ever given somebody a gift, and and you're so excited about the gift, you're even more excited than they are for them to, to open it or to see it? That's what But God gives Eve to Adam as a gift. And when Adam opens his eyes and he sees her, he says, Whoa, how you doing? That's a loose translation, okay? But those words that, that Adam speaks there, he says, um, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman for she was taken out of man. Um, by the way, those are the first words that Adam speaks in the story. But, but again, to go back to the Hebrew, that's, an, that's to be read like as an exclamation. Adam is really excited. He opens his eyes and he sees Eve and he's excited at this gift that God has given him. Husbands, do you want to build a good marriage? Do you want to build a good marriage? 
And by the way, that word build is intentional. A good marriage is not something you just have. It doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. You have to build it. Do you want to build a good marriage, men? Choose to see your wife and treat your wife as a gift from God. That will change everything. In fact, here's, a, here's an action step. Ask her. Do a little self-reflection. Ask yourself first, um, you know, do, do I treat my wife as a gift or do I treat her as the old ball and chain? You know, that's, the, that's an old phrase. Oh, my old lady, she's a ball and chain. Is that how you treat her? Or do you treat her as a gift from God? Ask yourself that question. And then if you want to take an action step, ask her. Because you may think you're doing great. And she may be sitting over there thinking, wish he would treat me like a gift sometimes. Wish he would just show me sometimes that he cherishes me. And you're over here thinking you're Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire saying, you complete me. So ask her. And if she gives you an answer that you don't want to hear, don't get defensive. Don't make excuses. Receive it. And then ask her for one thing. Don't ask her for a bunch. And ladies, if he asks you for one thing, don't make a big deal out of that and say, oh, man, I could write a novel. I got to think of one thing. Don't do that, okay? But I'm very intentional about this. Just one thing. Because all of us get overwhelmed when we think about having to change a lot of things. But anybody can change one thing at a time. So ask her for one thing that you can do differently, men. To show her that you see her as a gift from God. Ladies, do you want to build a good marriage? and choose to treat your husband in a way that makes it easy for him to see you as a gift from God, all right? See, the, 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 the stereotype, if the stereotype for men is that they view their wives as the old ball and chain, then the stereotype for ladies is the nagging, criticizing wife whose husband can do no wrong, right? We're all familiar with that stereotype. Ladies... Take a self-inventory. Ask yourself, do I, do I treat my husband that way? Do, do, do I treat him like he can't breathe without it being the wrong way? And then take your action step. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him, do I treat you, that, do I make you feel like you just, you can't do anything right? What's one thing that I can do different? And by the way, if you're not married, these are some good ways to approach any of your relationships. Ask yourself, do do I treat the people in my life, married or not, do I treat the people in my life as gifts from God? Do I treat them in a way that makes it easy for them to see me as a gift from God? That's just a good relationship principle, folks. The fact is, if both of you will choose to see each other as gifts from God, 
if both of you will choose to treat each other in a way that makes it easy to see the other as a gift from God, that's when marriage is a beautiful thing. So, based on this account of Eve's creation, the narrator, the narrator presents us in verse 24 with God's model for marriage when he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, he'll be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's the summary statement of God's design for marriage. And what I want us to note today is the order of the three things listed there. It says he'll leave his father and mother. In other words, you leave the shadow of your home and you begin to, you begin to serve God for yourself. In other words, you grow up. And then you marry. It says a man will leave his father and mother and he will be united to his wife. Then you marry. And then it mentions sex. That's what the two will become one flesh refers to. That's the order. In Hebrew literature, when things are listed, the order in which they're listed is significant. And folks, even though it's an increasingly unpopular notion in our, in our culture, that's God's design for marriage. You grow up, and then you get married, and then you have sex. With your spouse. Let's go ahead and clarify that, okay? (laughs) You grow up, and then you get married, and then you have sex. That's God's model. That's God's design. His his, His model for marriage is husband and wife serving and loving God together as a team, as gifts to each other with sex as an exclusive part of that relationship. That's God's model. Now, I want to tell you, um, the biggest challenge of putting this message together this week was deciding what to leave out. Um, Equipping people for healthy marriages, that's become a kind of a growing passion for Sarah and me over the last few years. And uh, last year, we developed a marriage conference. Uh, we, we call it the All-Star Marriage Conference, and we presented it at our church in Mountain Grove last fall. I got some good feedback on it. Uh, we're going to make some, some tweaks, some changes to it, and we want to present it here this next fall. And so as you leave the sanctuary today, uh, uh, there's a table at each door, and there are some little save-the-date cards that I want you to take with you. If you have any remote interest at all, it's got the dates on there. It's November 10th and 11th. Uh, We'll give you more details as it gets closer. But this morning, we're just scratching the surface. That's all you can do in a 20 or 30 minute message. Um, But if you know somebody who might be interested, then take one of those and give it to them. So I want to give you a heads up about that. But once again, God's model for marriage is husband and wife serving and loving God together as a team and as a gift to one another. So I want to leave us with this one thought. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, Adam, that sounds great. I would love to have a marriage like that. But my spouse... 
my husband, my wife, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with God or his model for marriage. What then? First of all, control what you can control. Here's a good lesson for everybody, no matter what your situation, you have no control over another person. You have no control over what your spouse thinks or says or does. That's true for all of us and all of our relationships. You're not responsible for your spouse's choices. But you are responsible for yours. Keep loving them with the love of Jesus. As difficult as that is, keep loving them with the love of Jesus. You keep doing what's right. Don't don't be critical. Don't nag them about coming to church or anything like that. Nagging and, and criticizing, that usually has the opposite effect of what we want. Keep praying. Keep loving them with the love of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, he has a, a little bit to say about being married to an unbelieving spouse. And, and there's some difficult things that he says in that chapter. But one thing he says is this, and I'm summarizing here. But he basically says, who knows, your unbelieving husband or wife might come to know Jesus because of your presence in his or her life. Now, if you're just dating, that's a whole nother story, okay? But if you're already married and you have an unbelieving spouse, don't give up hope. Keep praying, keep you, keep doing what's right. You keep treating them the way that, that God intended. You keep loving them with the love of Christ. Don't give up hope because we serve a risen Savior. We serve a God who specializes in the impossible. We serve a God who works miracles all the time. Don't give up hope. Would you stand with us this morning? Um, if you want to come with your spouse today, uh, I want to encourage you as we sing. Would you consider just either coming to the altar or maybe even right where you're at, just just praying together. And if you're not used to praying together, that can be kind of awkward. But, but would you just take that step and, and just say a brief prayer together for, for your marriage, for each other? If your marriage is struggling, if it's falling apart, or if, if, you're, if you're living with an unbelieving spouse right now, would you, would you consider coming and just, and just praying and, and And just saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep doing what you want me to do. But I'm going to trust you with this. Or if you're not married yet, would you just pray this morning, God, I'd like to be married. But I'm not going to just settle. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. And I'm going to wait on your timing. Would you come pray this morning? God, you are an amazing God. You do work miracles. And I pray that now in these closing moments of worship, that if there's a marriage in this room that needs healing, I pray that, that you would begin that even now. We trust you. 
We trust you. God, I pray your blessing on all of the marriages and all of the relationships represented in this room today. In Jesus' name, may all of your relationships be seasoned with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you 